My name is G. I uh, serve as executive pastor here at the City Life Church. Great to have you all this morning. Um, but before I do, I want to share something. You know, today when we're singing hymns, I just felt just such a presence of the Lord. And I don't know about you, I, I was messed up. So what I mean by that is, you know, it's my emotionally, you know, spiritually, you know, there's something unique about hymns, the words of the hymn that touches my heart. Um, so in the future, if you want to know how to mess up Pastor G, just play some hymns. And I'll be just all messed up, crying and all over the place. So, yeah. The real man cries, though. I just want you to know that. You know, real man. Be able to express their emotions, not their stoics. Yeah? So, anyways. That's just on G's perspective. Right, anyways. Let me begin with a question. How's your New Year resolution going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's a study that actually says, you know, people give up their New Year resolution on February 1st. So a couple days from now, according to the statistics, majority of you will quit your resolution, whatever the resolution you made January 1st. But I would like to argue that here at the City Live Church, knowing each and every one of you, wherever you are, if you are in New Year resolution, it's not too late because it's not February 1st yet. So continue to press forward, okay? Um, many reasons why people give up. I thought this was interesting. And you might be wondering, Pastor G, why are you mentioning any of this? Why don't you just go to the word? But you will come back to me. Don't worry. It says 68% of the people that survey even give up sooner than that, right? So I don't know about you. I, I work out a lot. But I don't have, I don't go to the gym anymore because I have my garage gym. Thank God. Quarantine didn't affect me at all. I still got my swall on. Okay? Um, but people couldn't go, so everybody's buying out all this stuff, but that's not the point. Here, 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 me up. January 1st, like that first week, it's like the worst place, the gym. It's like the worst place to go. I mean, it's overly crowded. You know, people are just hugging the machines. You know, just for the people that work out regularly, just like, come on, man, just get off the machine. You're not even using the machine right. And if you try to go tell them something, they're like, don't, 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 don't tell me that. You know, don't, don't give me advice. It's like, man, I'm trying to help you. Um, but all that to say, you know, that's like the worst place to be. But there are two reasons uh, that many people give up their New Year resolution. Number one is lack of discipline. Okay, lack of discipline. Um, number two is a busy schedules and lacking the proper time, proper time to see them through, which I agree with that. Um, does it say you have to do with anything? It will at the end. Uh, all that to say, though, I just want to give you a couple of announcements before we move on. We have our equipment coming up, which is February 9th. Uh, if you haven't registered, I highly recommend you do so. And if we're, the reason why I actually mentioned the, about the New Year resolution is about the spiritual discipline. Right? So by February 1st, majority of you quit. According to the statistics, I'm not telling you that you here in the church service and those of you watching online, but we want to help you. We want to help you to continue your spiritual discipline. How do you do that? By us offering the way for you to get in the Word. And that's how we're going to do that is we're going to offer many a variety of classes that you can actually attend, and we'll help you, guide you through. So some of the classes that we're offering... It's the life you always wanted, spiritual habits and discipline. I will be teaching that one. 
Kingdom and Work will be led by Scott Fiddler. Meaning of Marriage uh, by Chris and Casey Pate. Uh, Prayer 101, Aisha and Henry. So please register. Go online. Or you can download the app and you can register that way too, okay? Sounds good? Okay, good. Uh, we're continuing our series on Abide, the power and beauty of God's Word. And this is part of our prayer and fasting that we did earlier this year. And this is a continuation of the series that we're focusing on, our determination, our focus on God's Word. And today, we are going to focus on, our theme for today is, The Word Sets Us Free. The Word Sets Us Free. So let's get right into the text today. I got a lot to cover. I ran out of time earlier, so I'm not going to make that mistake again. I probably will. Um, <laughs> let's go to Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 21 to 36. I will give you just one minute for those paper Bible people. I love you guys. I know you exist. In John chapter 8, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he said, I, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Last two years, we actually have studied the Gospel of John during the summer. So if you want to hear more in depth, you can go and actually listen to the, all the sermons from the previous uh, times. But I want to begin today by just giving you the thesis statement of the Gospel or the purpose you know, John was gracious enough to give us a reason why I actually wrote the letter. I wrote the gospel. And so here in John 20, 31, 
he actually gives us the reason why he wrote it. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The word believe appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. 98 times. And so when you, if you're a good Bible student, when the word appear over and over and over, then you should always mark those words because there is something that author is trying to communicate to the audience, which is you and me. Whether it is during that time when the, the, the gospel was first written, or 2,000 years where you and I are reading these words, when the word appears over and over and over, we need to pay more attention to them. And in a way, if you think about his mission statement or the thesis statement, his goal is simple. It's that you believe in Jesus. I say it again. The very goal and the purpose of the gospel of John, in addition to all the other gospel I say, is that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Okay? Good enough. The chapter itself, if you think about the text that we just read, we only read a little bit portion of the greater, uh, the narrative that is actually happening in this verse. So when you're actually reading the Gospel of John chapter 8, the verse that we read, I highly recommend you actually read all the way through from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 10. But if you don't have time, go from chapter 7 to chapter 8. And if you don't have that time, just read the chapter 8 entirely. Okay, because there is a theme there, and today we are actually going to tackle that theme too. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. Verse 21 to 30, these are just the background information. Uh, the origin of Jesus' authority uh, from verse 21 to 30. And D.A. Carson puts it this way, the origin of Jesus' authority as the four areas, where Jesus comes from, where he is going, who is the Father, and who is Jesus? And verse 31 to 36, and what does it mean to believe? And that is the essence of the text that we just read today. It is very important, though, that you have to understand that this text is written with a Jewish idea. And so if we're not reading or if we don't have any connection to understand or even have some idea of the Old Testament in our mind, then we'll miss quite a lot. So today, we are actually going to go back and forth a little bit about the Old Testament to assure you what Jesus is actually saying is much greater than thus these verses that we just read today. There is a greater narrative, grand narrative that Jesus is focusing on. And if we don't pay attention, we completely miss it. And I'll, I'll prove to you today, the majority of you probably just didn't even consider this statement, okay? So we'll go. So shall we go to the text? Everybody ready? Here we go. Verse 21, then Jesus said to them again, I am going away. Where is he going? Where is he going? If we understand the gospel as a whole, we know where he's going. He is talking about his departure. His departure, which signifies then him being crucified. 
and the death. And the chapter 8 actually talks quite a lot about his death. And his death actually signified and it served as a very critical moment of Jesus' ministry and the purpose. And if you think about the grand narrative, if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, this whole thing is off. It's very important for us to know. You will seek me. And you will die in your sin. And this is really interesting. Now, these are Jews that he's speaking to. And now, you have to understand, the people that he's speaking to are Pharisees. They're very religious. They know the law. They grew up to have all the tradition memorized, the, the, the word memorized, Torah from, I think, like 12 years old, 13 years old. They have to memorize the whole entire Torah, literally memorize, and have to read every word. How many books do you remember? I don't know either. I don't, I, don't, I don't do that much. So I'm not just judging you here. Not my intention. Just saying. Okay. But you will seek me. It's a really interesting statement, isn't it? What do you mean seek me? It's after you go away, you will seek me, but you will not find. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that you will seek me means you are looking for a Messiah of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that all the Scripture has been looking for at this time, but you will not find me, simple enough, that you missed him. The one who is standing before you. Think about, put yourself in that moment when they are hearing Jesus' word, when he says, you will not, you will seek me and you will not find. How can that be? It has to be that he is talking about himself and how they completely missed the Savior that is standing in front of them. And you will die in your sin. Which sin? It's a sin of unbelief. It's a sin of unbelief. To reject the Son, and in turn you are rejecting the Father, the God of heaven, who orchestrated, who is orchestrating this plan of salvation that's happening right in front of their eyes. Verse 23. You are from beneath. This is not hell. I want you to know. This is talking about where we are, the world, the earth. And he also reveals that he's not from here, but he's from heaven. The Son of God came down to the earth, born in the virgin birth, living a sinless life, crucified, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, now mediating for you and me. That's the gospel, by the way. If you want to put a gospel in a form, that's pretty much it. The world which hates Jesus because he, the Jesus, testified that what it does is evil. And so, he goes on. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, you will die in your sins. Let's stop there. This is a plural, isn't it? It's not sin of unbelief, but it's a sin's so here's my belief. Sin of unbelief 
will lead to sins of unbelief. Sin of unbelief, rejecting Jesus Christ, the Savior, and the Lord, the Son of God, will lead to a sense of unbelief in everyday life. It's very critical how disbelief or wrong belief in Jesus will lead to this simple life and the behavior, all because of unbelief. I know I'm talking sin a lot, so which means that's the reason why it's quiet. But don't worry. There is a hope. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sin, for if you do not believe, there he is, because you don't believe the sins of unbelief. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let me ask you a question. What is I am he? Have you ever put some thoughts on this statement that Jesus makes? I am he. In the Gospel of John, we see a lot of I am statement. There are a total of seven I am statements, which is beautiful. It's very clear. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am a good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, and the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine, which is where the abide comes from. But what is I am he? Are you confused? I know I was when I first read the gospel for the first time. I am he. Is that an English proper? Is this a proper English here? English is my second language, but even because even though it was my second language, I was like, something is wrong here, man. <laughs> something is not right. Maybe they translated it wrong. Actually, it has not, it's not translated wrong. We're just looking at the wrong place. And let me prove it to you. And this enigma you will see all throughout the Old Testament. And it actually starts in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 13 and 14, when Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall we say to them? And God said, it's very important, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this statement of identity of God is recognized as this I am statement. So when John is using I am, statement of Jesus, it's really, that's where it derives from, that I am God, okay? Deuteronomy 32, 39. If you don't believe it now, I will just keep going. Now see that I, even I am he. First time appearing. And there is no God besides me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, and I heal. No, there is any who can deliver from my hand. Isaiah 43, 10 through 11. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand I am he. Before me, there was no God's form, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me, there is no what? Savior. Savior. 
Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Which is a reference of the revelation Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Is this a coincidence? No. But I believe if you say, if still not convinced, there's one more verse that I would like to address. It's in Isaiah 42, 8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. Interesting. In Hebrew, it is Ani Yehovah Hu Shemi. Ani Yehovah Hu Shemi. Ani, I am. Yehovah, name of God, or the Lord in translated in English. Hu Shemi. Shemi is my name, but the problem is who? H-U, not A-W-H-O. Who? H-U. This is the problem. Translators did not understand how to translate at this moment. But the word is who in Hebrew. Who in Hebrew is not that. It's actually he. And the reference I will make to you is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he, or who, in this translation in Hebrew, shall bruise your hand and you shall bruise his heel. So, the, the correct translation, if you ask me, is that I am the Lord. He, capital H, E, is my I am he is reference not only that he is God, but is also the promised Messiah that was written in the old. You see the connection here that Jesus is making. I am he. So wherever next time you read the scripture, you come to this portion where he says, I am he. Remember, it is Reference our statement of God and the Messiah that is to come. Good? Clear enough. If not, come and talk to me afterward. Okay? Let's keep going. And they say to him, verse 25, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. It's very critical also. The beginning is mentioned here. And what is this statement beginning? And I can't go in details, but we know that in the beginning, God creates heaven and earth. And John begins with, in the beginning, word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He is in the beginning with God. The beginning. Emphasis of the beginning. What is happening in the beginning? A lot. A lot. Just read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you will see there's a lot. But one quote that I just made, one statement that I made is about John, I mean Genesis chapter 3, 15. He. The promise of he. And who is this he? We know it's Jesus now. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He is referring to himself that is mentioned in the beginning. Bible talks about me. The Old Testament speaks of me. If Jesus is actually attempting to help them understand, but even then they just cannot see or hear, but their ears have become dull, blinded with eyes spiritually. 
They just cannot see it. Even if you try, you will not be able to convince them. And these are the folks that knew the law, and which is that is what makes so sad about this story, that these people should have known these references that he makes, he should be able to make the connection. Verse 26, I have many things to say to you. Oh, yes, he does. But he who sent me is true. Hmm? And he's talking about Father and the mission, which is Genesis 3.15, right? We just mentioned that reference. That the promised Messiah is here. And the purpose of Jesus coming on earth is all wrapped around in this statement. And I speak to the world, those things which I heard from him. He's not doing anything with his own initiative. Father and son is one, and he is doing the very thing that God is commanding him to do. They did not understand. Here we go. So glad John actually says these things. They did not understand, right, that he spoke to them of the father. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, you will know that I am When you lift up the Son of Man is the reference to his crucifixion. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is discussing about the higher things of God. And then he mentions, when you see the Son of Man lifted up. And so this is the second time that reference is being made. So he's using this reference to signify his crucifixion. But what happens in those moments? When he is lifted up, you will know. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the very reason why? If you call yourself a Christian, the very reason why you and I are here gathered together, studying words God together, doing the life together, doing the community together, doing the church together, is because this. Messiah had to die. Purpose of God was that there will be a substitution. There will be worthy enough to be able to cleanse sins once for all. But there is a conditional statement. Believe. If you don't believe, there is no reward. There is no substitution. There is no new life, no freedom, nothing. A condition is so simple. Believe. Do you believe? 29, verse 29. We're moving along. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed him. Finally, finally, people start to believe that maybe he is the one that he claimed that him to be, which you will find that the rest of the text of the Gospel of John, that is not the case. It's pretty sad. Belief have to be aligned with what Jesus say he is, not your own perspective. I don't know what type of Jesus you have in your head, but if it does not align with the word of God, and it's not the Jesus that you're believing. Sorry. I think there are too many 
superficial, wannabe, that have not fully grasped who truly Jesus is and, and, and what he has actually done. If you truly understand the weight of the sin and how much it cost God, you will not understand. But it starts with the weight of the sin, understanding that it is your sin that separated between you and your God, Isaiah says. But God had a way. He had a plan. Oh, it's a good plan. And that plan is in Jesus, that through him that we may have life eternally with him, forgiven, freedom, promised Messiah. And the condition is belief. Do you believe? Or do you believe about him? There's a clear difference. You can believe that he is a good teacher. You can believe that he's a great moral standard that I can follow after. But if he's not a Messiah, if he's not the Jesus of the scripture who claimed himself to be, what do you believe? I'll keep going. We're almost done. Don't worry. I will end the plane in a second. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, now these are the people that claim to believe. And here we go, and this, this music changed to really, really bad tune in a way, right? And Jesus says to those who believe in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my true or my disciples Indeed, and you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. I don't know about you. When I read this one, even if I did not believe, I would look at it and say, that's pretty good. Even if I believed the ounce of Jesus at this moment, I would say, wow, what a gracious word. All I have to do is abide in you and your word, and then I am your disciple, and then I will know the truth, and truth will Set me free? That's a great promise to me. But what is the response? Funny. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Yeah, come on. <laughs> never been in bondage to anyone? Well, how about the Egyptians, guys? Oh, they got you pretty good. Making bricks. Without the straw, that was been hard. That's bondage, man. How about Babylonians? How about the Persians? How about the Greeks who sacrificed pigs on the temple altar? Oh, how about the Romans, which you are under right and now, right here. And you say you're not in bondage to anyone. Come on, man. Who are you fooling? And he said, how can you... <laughs> How can you say you make, made me free? And now Jesus is talking about here. It's a spiritual bondage, as you know. And we know this because we know the whole story. And Jesus is talking about not the bondage of the world. I mean, bondage of the power of the world. But the sin that keeps us in bondage. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. And what Jesus is promising is not this freedom from the worldly power. Liberation. No. Talking about the spiritual liberation that only God can truly provide. And that, my friend, is what Christianity is all about. God is in business of setting us free. Setting us free. But what it takes? Believe. Do you believe? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, which is we, Pastor Chris mentioned it, I mentioned it previously, it's not just most assuredly I say to you, it's amen, amen, I say to you. You mean by the, out of the two or more witnesses, I say. In Jewish culture, it is according to Rabbi Akiva. According to Rabbi Abraham says this. is not on the authority. And you see what Jesus is portraying here. He is under the father and son's authority. Two witnesses. He's making these statements. Whoever commits a sin is slaves of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If you believe that there is a freedom available. If you know for sure that the fact that Jesus said he can offer the freedom that you want, now take it. Would you take it? Would you take God's invitation to take the freedom, true liberation of a spiritual bondage? God is in business to free us. And that's what he does. And this whole story, the truth setting us free, is not just about the word setting you free. Is the embodiment of that word, that truth, and the grace that sets us free. And if we miss that, then we miss the entire thing. It will be just a great moral teaching of Jesus, and that will be it. And that's not what we're talking about. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. I believe it. I confess it. Do you believe Today. So what do we do with this message? What is our response? You know, in verse 30, many believe them. But we know, and you will see, if you go back and read for yourself in chapter 8, you'll see that a lot of these beliefs were superficial. Maybe they thought that he was a promised Messiah that would deliver it, they would deliver them from the Roman Empire. Maybe that's what they're looking for. And the weak, my Messiah has to go to die? Maybe that didn't resonate well. They're looking for political Messiah instead of Messiah who would die for them. The promised Messiah of the old that God promised you and me. So what is our response? Accept. Accept. What? Our first response has to be when we hear this truth is to accept the truth. All throughout the sermon today, I asked you the question, 
Do you believe? Do you believe? It's not of my clever sayings or even me speaking, but do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who come to save? That's our first response. And if you think that earlier, I mentioned about the good moral teacher. You know, because, you know, Christianity won't hurt. You know, it teaches to be a good person, some will say, because Jesus is a good moral teacher. And right now, I would like to lean to our third pastoral voice, C.S. Lewis. Because <laughs> we call him so much in this church. I'm pretty sure the other C.S. paid will appreciate me very much. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Neither this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up or for a fool or you can fall his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Number two, act. In verse 32, he says, know the truth. In the Greek word, gnosko, is when you experientially learn something. Knowledge possessed through the intellectual process of learning is one thing. Knowledge gained by experience, by an active relationship between the one who knows and the person or things known, is far superior to former. Gnosko, or to know, is that knowledge that comes not just by reading and listening, but by acting and obeying the Lord. You may intellectually know some truth, but you don't really know it experientially until you surrender and obey the truth. A person must be determined to obey the word if he expects to understand it. And finally, abide. Abide. Abide in my word, Jesus said. In simple terms, abide means to remain in the same place or position over a period of time. Jesus was implying the maintenance of a stable and consistent fellowship with God. To abide in Christ means to depend completely on Him for all that we need in order to live for Him and serve Him. It is a living relationship. As He lives out His life through us, we are able to follow His example and walk as He walked. There's nothing between us and our Savior. No sin unjudged and not put away. This is how truth sets us free. So, you know, in the beginning of the service, I asked you about the New, Year, New Year's resolution. I told you I'll come back. Unless you come to realization of a conviction, whether it is a weight loss or discipline of your money, time, even relationship. Doesn't matter how many plans you make or try to keep, 
it will not come to fruition unless you accept the reality. Unless you come to grip of the weight of sin. And how you desperately in need of Savior, you will never fully grasp the beauty of God's word and the gospel. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we worship you today. We honor you. We thank you that, Lord, you have come down to earth to be with us. You're the only God had a compassion and be willing to sacrifice in order that we may have a relationship with Father God of heaven. We love you. We thank you for making that opportunity for us to believe. I pray this morning for those who have not put their trust in you. I pray. Oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you reveal yourself to them in a mighty way. I ask, Lord God, that you give them strength they may pursue you and get on the path of salvation. I thank you today. We worship you. We honor you. In Jesus' name.